Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. This evening we're going to speak about something that we don't speak about too often in church. Although we probably should speak about it a whole bunch more. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was just dealing with a whole bunch of situations in church and people and struggles that they were going through and questions they were asking. And I realized in a scary way, I was shocked by how biblically illiterate so many of us are when it comes to our money. And what we did is we did a whole seminar, I think it was a Saturday and two Sundays speaking about finances and sharing some thoughts around it. And, you know, sometimes as a pastor, I think, oh, but we've spoken about it already, it's done. But then I realized that was in 2011. And one of three things probably happened. Some of you may have been here back in 2011 and you heard everything and you've remembered it and you took all the notes and as I'm speaking, you're going to be able to say what I'm about to say before I've even said it because you've got it nailed down. Some of you may have been here and you heard everything we said back in 2011, but you've forgotten already. It's five years ago. I'd probably fall into that category. And some of you are probably here and you're like, in 2011, I was in standard six or something. <laughs> and you weren't around back then. So it's kind of weird sometimes digging up an old message and sharing pretty much the same content again. But I realized that from time to time we need to because there's some important stuff that we do need to share. And having said it five years ago, doesn't mean we've all heard it and doesn't mean we've all remembered it. So I'm going to be talking about this stuff tonight. Here's the newest one to my collection. Molly gave it to me just before the service. Not Molly, sorry. Slanek Ulrika Blankta. Leandri, my bad. Eh? These are the, weird, the worst moments when you have those blank moments in public in front of everybody else. She gave it to me just before the service. I don't know why she decided to, but... Were you here this morning? How did you know? Uh, okay. She just happened to have $50,000 in her pocket and decided to give it to me, which is really cool. And we'll get more to this one's friends a little bit later. I have a bit of a history in finance and economics and that stuff. So when I travel from time to time, if I remember and I don't spend it all, I try and collect some of the notes just for the fun. For moments like these, because when else do you ever do anything with any of this stuff? And they remind you, of course, moments. This is, you can't, you can, if you could see it, you, maybe you're really special and you can read it. But I can read this side because it's in English. And that's just funny squiggles and lines. And this side said, State Bank of Pakistan, 10 rupees. And that was a pretty amazing trip because it's the first time in my life I had a 24-7 personal bodyguard with me. And it was a bit of a crazy moment running from houses to cars, from cars to houses, like in the movies and stuff, because you really don't want somebody abducting, abducting you and hiding you up in the hills with the Taliban and those guys. So this money is pretty interesting, not because of the money, but because of the experience we had there. Some of you are going to missions to Malawi, and you might recognize this big note. Kwachas from Malawi. Here's some real money. And if you can see it, one United States dollar. 
This is proper money. This isn't the fake stuff that we use. And on the back, I'm always fascinated by what it says here on the back. It says, in God we trust, which is really awesome. But right next to it, there's this funny Freemason third eye tower thing. With literally like an eye still in the top of the pyramid that's torn apart. So that's like a really interesting kind of paradox they've got right going on their money there. This one you might know. A good old Randelas. Some of you might even have used one of these before. It's not worth very much, but hey, we've got it. This one, I, it looks really dirty and tatty, and it's, it is really dirty and tacky, but it's the nicest one that I have. And it's one of those moments in my life I should have taken a photo, but I didn't. I think it's because I tried to take a photo on the airport, and they almost arrested me, but I was a bit afraid to take photos for the rest of that trip. We were in Nigeria. This is, can't even read the number, 50 Naira from the Central Bank of Nigeria. And there's like numbers written on here with pen, and it's really weird. But I remember us going, and you can ask Yaku and Michal when you see them going, going to Nigeria. And we took a whole bunch of, where's that one now? The real money, these. And we were staying in this place which you can very euphemistically call a hotel, resembled a hotel. And there were beds in it, which was really good except there were five guys sleeping in one double bed. It was interesting. And it was hot, very hot. Anyway, we took a whole bunch of this money. Not so much, but a little bit that we had. And we went into this little building next to the so-called hotel we were staying in. And I'll never forget this moment in my life, and I really should have taken photos, because you're not going to believe me. But if I had photos, you might have believed me. But we went in with a few of these, and we exchanged them a few of these, the Nairas. Except when we walked out, we walked in with like a little wallet bag thing, you open it and you take these ones out. And we walked out of that building with, I think it was, this morning I said three, I lied, I think it was two. Black dustbin bags over our shoulders filled with these. So I should have taken a photo of that, felt like part of Christmas walking around. This is honeymoon money. This is awesome stuff. 25 rupees from the Bank of Mauritius. Eh? And then, because it's so curious and just so unique in all of history, this 50,000. This 50,000 is brand new. This isn't even money money. This is a, a bearer check, which is a technically different thing, but we're not going to get into that so much. Oh, by the way, for those of you who sort of economics and accountant, maybe not accountants, one of the biggest challenges in economics, I remember when I was studying one of our professors, he's now a big director, he's a big director at Sanlam. And he just had a job interview with someone. He was appoint, an interview with someone that he wanted to appoint in his office. And he asked the guy as an economist, what was the hardest part of your job? And the guy just responded, the new guy in the team responded, explaining economics to accountants. So, <laughs> this bear check, we're not getting into money too much, but for those of you who do have a little bit of a finance background, today when we talk about money, we're not going to be talking about it in a technical sense. We're going to be talking about money in the way that engineers talk about money. Like just this money stuff, this type of thing, this money. And engineers, if you like going what, that's exactly the point. But the rest of us, we get it. Here's an interesting one. $10 billion. 
How cool is that? I have $10 billion in my hand. Anybody want to give me five rand for this? <laughs> and then this one, which for me is just absolute awesomeness. And if you wanted to, you could make me fat and give me a bald head and suddenly I could become Dr. Evil because I have $100 trillion. Like mini-me. Phone the UN and say, give me $100 trillion. And they say, yeah. We've got it in one banknote. I've got a photo up there. You can't really see it up there. But there's a lot of notes. I know it doesn't look like it. It looks like little lines on the top left and the bottom left. But those are notes. 14 of them, I think, and a one. This evening, we're talking about the value of money. And here's the crazy thought. I'm not going to get into it too much, but let's just mention that. Sort of. let's, maybe I can hold these a little bit like playing cards. $100 trillion on this side, $50 billion, $10 billion next to it, and we end up with this banker's check, which isn't even money. Anyway, put that in the middle there. What is the difference between all of these? If you could pick one, which one would you pick? Sorry? The one, not the $100 trillion, just the one. See, he's got no space in his heart for sentiment. One dollar. Why one dollar? Why? Why? He says this is worth the most. Who agrees with him? See, isn't that the scary thing? That's just a piece of paper. There's no difference between this piece of, except this is just a rubbish piece of paper, but it's really cool. And this is even more rubbish piece of paper. Do you know that there was an ad company who did an ad for the Zimbabwean newspaper? And what they did was they took banknotes like these and they ran them through printers and printed logos and images and slogans on them and then took them and glued them to billboards and walls and stuck them in rolls and posted them to people. And the whole point of the ad campaign was this crazy thing. It was cheaper for them to print on Zimbabwean dollar banknotes than on paper. It was cheaper for them to take the Zimbabwean dollar banknotes and glue them to the billboard than print the billboard. I've got another photo there for you. If we can, I don't know if you can really see the next one. Not the best photo ever, but the top one is this one, $100 trillion, and the one below it is one. $100 trillion and one. What's the difference between the two? Is there a difference? Don't try and do math and take 100 trillion minus one, leaves 9900 million and 900 and whatever thousand, and you're going to sound like Jacob Zuma, I promise you. Don't even try that one, okay? What is the difference between those two? This is where the scary thing comes in. The only difference between this one and this one and this one or 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 any other banknote that you hold in your hand is how much you and I think it's worth. The intrinsic value is just a piece of paper. And it's a pretty useless piece of paper as well because you can't even draw on it because 
It's got other stuff already drawn on it. If I give this to my kids, they're going to be, no, they're drawn away. Give me the blank piece of paper because I can draw on that one. If you go to Australia, then they're going to give you plastic money. Like plastic money, like real plastic money. I think euros as well is made of plastic. The scary thing about all of this is as we go through life, we place increasing or decreasing amounts of value on this stuff. The cool thing about it is you and I can decide how much value we want to put on it. The only reason this has any value, you could probably buy like two steers ice creams or a Coke. I don't think, even think you can buy a coffee anymore for 10 rand. Except here you get them for free. We're nice, eh? And the only difference in any of this is a difference of perception. What do I think it's worth? The only reason you think this is worth something is because the person next to you think it's worth something, and they think it's worth something because the person next to them think it's worth something. You see, there's no reason why we can't wake up tomorrow and decide, hey, wait a minute, I don't think this is worth anything anymore. And then, it's not worth anything anymore because it's just a piece of paper. So a couple of things about money from Scripture this evening and going to have a really long introduction and then a very short sermon at the end. A couple of important relationships in our life. Our relationships with our spouses, our relationship with our kids, our relationship with our parents, our relationship with food. It's a really important relationship to manage. Some of us really struggle with that one and I understand that. Our relationship with our neighbors. Our relationship with our careers. Our relationship with money is probably one of the most important relationships you have in your life. If you think back over the last week about all of the decisions you need to make, what clothes you put on, what clothes you bought, where you went for lunch, where you didn't go for lunch, what you ate, how you ate it, who you went with, what you did in your off time, pretty much every decision that you make in life as a financial component to it. Am I right? There are very few decisions you will make that this guy doesn't sound, and I'm going to use this one because this is the one that maybe is the most useful for us, okay? Even though it's not that useful, I mean, we could have a bit of fun with it, but not that much. Probably one of the most important relationships you're ever going to have in your life is your relationship with money. We need to have a good relationship with money. God wants you to have a good relationship with money because you see, as important as money is, it has no value outside of what you and I place on it. But it has an immense amount of value when we see it the way God sees it. So here's a couple of things about money that I want us to share with this evening. The first one, and this is really encouraging for me and hopefully it's encouraging for you, because if I've got money or I don't have money, it doesn't change anything about the fact that it's God's anyway. The gold is mine, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, if it's God's, it's not mine. You see, whether it's in your bank account, my bank account, the Mark Zuckerberg's bank account, doesn't make a difference to God. It's his anyway. He has it whenever he wants it, however he wants it. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. And the fullness speaks about the wealth, the riches, everything that 
this earth holds within it is the Lord's. It's not mine. It's not yours. And that's so great for me to know that if there's money on my bank account or if there isn't money in my bank account, there's a stack of money in God's hands. And He's my provider anyway. And I can just promise you over the years, He is incredibly, incredibly faithful to provide. So first fundamental is God's. Second one, and I want you guys to hear this, money is not evil. Some of the most alarming conversations I've had with young believers are people who are afraid, who are scared of coming into money or scared of taking a job that's going to pay well because they think money is evil. They think intrinsically money has this power to change them. Can I say to you, money is not evil and neither is having money evil? In the years, the history of the church, there's this polarity swinging from one side to the other side. And sort of in parts of the Middle Ages, you had this ascetic period where people were saying that if I'm really, 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 really holy, for me to get to that stage, it means I must have absolutely no money. Only if I'm really, really, really poor can I be holy. Nowadays, much of the church has swung all the way to the other side, and now a lot of parts, large part of the church is saying, if you don't have stack loads of money in your bank account, drive a big car, have a big house, then you're not holy. The only way for you to be really holy and the only sign of you being really holy is if you've got a big web bank. If you don't have a big bank account, you're missing God. Neither of those poles is true. The truth is that for God, the money in that sense is totally trivial and unimportant. Whether you're called, and it's a calling question, and we can get upset about that, but whether you're called, figuratively speaking, as a street sweeper, or whether you're called as Mark Zuckerberg, for argument's sake. Somebody to come up with an idea and get stinking filthy rich. Paul writes about that at one stage. He says, I'm content whether I've got everything or whether I've got nothing, whether I've got the biggest, best, newest telephone, TV, car, wheels on my car, and all of the other newest, coolest stuff that I can possibly have, or whether I don't. It doesn't change anything about who I am. Whether I've got it all or whether I've got nothing is irrelevant. Money isn't evil. I want us to read this a little bit in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it's a promise that, that God has given. And He says He's going to really bless people. And when they come into the land that He has promised them, that He has prepared for them, He says from verse 18, When you've come into that land, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. Your herds and your flocks multiplied. Wealth is coming your way. Your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up, be careful that you forget, where we now? That you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Because it's He who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and he might test you to do you good in the end. And then when all of this happens, that be careful that you don't say in your heart, my power, my goodness, and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. He says, when all this wealth comes, don't step back and say, I've done all of this because I'm so cool and I'm so clever. Look at this in verse 18. 
But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. You see, God would never give us the power to get wealth if money was evil. Then it would have been God has given you the power to stay poor and be really holy. God has no problem with us coming into money. We should never be afraid of money, of finance, of wealth, of riches. We should never hold on to it. We should never cling to it. We should never run after it. But if God does bring our paths that way, we shouldn't be afraid of it. And we'll speak about that in a few moments. I remember I had a really, 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 really super intelligent professor at Varsity. A couple of them were really great, but this one guy was just a standout. And he was really cool for a couple of reasons. But one of them was we had one-year class schedule. We had a smallish class, about 15 or 20 in the class in our final year, third year. And I remember him sitting there, standing up actually in, in class. And we're sitting and he's standing. He said, oh, by the way, um, we've just got your new schedules. And we see we've got classes schedules on Friday morning at half past eight or eight o'clock. Probably it would have been eight o'clock. But there's a problem with that because I've just got the super rugby timetable and their games on Friday morning at 8 o'clock. So we're going to have to move your lecture. <laughs> so we moved our lectures and we jumped around and we made sure we could all play rugby. And back then we would have had Super Brew if there was something like that. This was before the days of Google. This was in the good old days when you could still watch all of Super Rugby because there was only like 12 teams in it. Some of you are like, what? Super what? Super 12? When was that? And I'm giving away my age a little bit. Not like Super, what is it now? 18? It's less Super 18 now. It was more Super 12 back then. And we watched all of the games, and it was good fun. And this professor was intelligent, incredibly intelligent. He was one of the big, big honchos at Old Mutual in the asset management division before he decided that he's made enough money there. He's going to become a professor and be lazy and teach young students. Very knowledgeable about pretty much everything in the world. And I remember one day, and I just be, probably must have been in my second year around there, and he was teaching and he was sharing something about money and the dangers of money. And I don't think he was a very moral person. I didn't know him all that well, but that was my perception of him. And he threw something out about, but money is the root of all evil anyway. And little bold me shivered a little bit and I put up my hand. And I said, excuse me, sir, um, professor, I think you're wrong. And he didn't say that to him because <laughs> he was never wrong about anything. And he was very confident. What do you mean I'm wrong? He says that in the Bible. I said, it doesn't say that in the Bible. And this is before the days of smartphones and Google on your phone and any of that. So we had a little bit of, so he said in the Bible. I said, no, the Bible doesn't say that. And if I remember correctly, I had my Bible in my suitcase because that's what you do when you're a Christian. When you go to class, you take your Bible with you. So if you've got time off, you can read the Bible a little bit because you all do that, no? Yes, Okay. And I had my Bible with me, and I took my Bible out and found the Scripture, and we read it. And guess what? The Bible did not say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible did say, in 1 Timothy, I think we got it there, 6 verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Why? Because for that love, some of us, and the greediness, for which some have strayed away from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. It's the love of money. It's when we allow this to get into here that we've got a big problem. You all know that with God, all things are possible. 
They won't know that. Is it in your heart? Huh? With God, all things are possible. This side, it's the doctors. The, the doctors are complaining. Right? With God, all things are possible. But you know that there are some things that are outside of the possibility of the realm of possibility with God. One of them, and we look at this just now, is with God, I cannot serve God and mammon. With God, that is impossible. I have to make a decision. Do I follow in this guy or do I follow Jesus? Because at times, many times, they're going to be contrary to each other. Here's a really important one because I believe this is a big lie that many of us are afraid of. And this is sort of the root of the fear that keeps us, maybe because we think money is evil, I don't want any money in my life, then please give all your money to me. No, I'm just joking. Get healed from that and embrace the fact that God wants to provide for you in your life. Deal with it well. Have a healthy relationship with money. But one of the reasons we run away from money is because we think money is evil. The other reason why some Christians run away from money is we think money and by implication power corrupts. I don't believe that's biblical at all. You know what money does do? As money grows, we start with 10 rand. You see, if I give you this 10 rand and you deal well with this 10 rand, with integrity in your heart, like my daughter, she had a birthday a couple of weeks ago and she got a crazy amount of money for her birthday. I really didn't know five-year-olds got that much money for birthday presents. I didn't get that much money for a birthday present when I was five. But she's got no clue about money yet. We have to teach her that still. So she's sitting there with this money, the big smile on her face, because she got money for her birthday, and that's cool, because it's a birthday, and all her friends are excited about her having a birthday, and they come to party, and that for her is worth a lot more than the fact that she happened to get some money. I know when you get older, that changes a little bit, but especially when you get married into a wedding, then you just only invite the people who bring wed big wedding presents, and you kind of ignore the rest. And I asked her, so what are you going to do with this money that you got for your birthday? And it was one of those answers, and when you get kids, you kind of pick up this little bit. Sometimes, even in a five-year-old, there's this tone of voice that says, that is such a stupid question. Why are you even asking me that? And she answered with that tone of voice, and then I said, what are you going to do with this money? And she looked at me, give it to the church. And I was like, well, that's a really, really great idea, but can I help you with that? We can give a whole bunch to the church. I'm fine with that, but let's not give everything to the church. Let's go and buy you some Lego with some of it. And then there was some left over, and she bought us all some ice cream with it, and it was just the best day in her life ever because she's forgotten about it. Every day is the best day in her life. I love people like that. The other sister is not like that, but the oldest one, when they're people and they're laughing, she is happy. And... You see, if someone gives you a birthday present and suddenly you get 10 rand or 100 rand or 1,000 rand or 10,000 rand, that money doesn't corrupt you. It just reveals what's hidden in your heart already. And as the money grows, as the power grows, all that happens is the effects of it get amplified. You see, if you're a person of integrity and you get your birthday money, and what are you going to do? I'm just going to give it all away because that's what I do. I'm not following off the money. I'm not running off the money. If you get 10 rand and you give the 10 rand away, the chances are if you get 1,000 rand, you're going to give the 1,000 rand away. If you get 10,000, you're going to give the 10,000 because money doesn't have a hold on you. You deal with it in integrity. What is integrity? My favorite definition of it is integrity is who I am when no one is looking. That's integrity. 
You see, if I'm driving my car and there's a 60 speed limit in my car and I'm driving down the road at 60 kilometers an hour because I know around the corner there's a traffic cop waiting for me. And if I go around the corner at 80 kilometers an hour, he's going to pull me over and take this out of my wallet. Not him directly because that's a really bad idea. Don't give it to him. He's going to write me a little love letter that says I must go and pay somebody else with this, but many more of these. That's not integrity. That's just common sense. Integrity is when I'm driving down that same road, going around that same bend at 60 kilometers an hour, and I know that there is not a traffic cop waiting for me. And I'm not doing it because I'm afraid of getting caught. I'm doing it because there's integrity in my heart. I do what's right when no one is watching. You see, if I can steal, if I leave this 10 rand here until after the service, I'm not going to do it because I don't trust you. And I say that lightheartedly, but I, I want to encourage you guys as well. Just please do keep your personal possessions with you. Sadly, we've had many cell phones and laptops and stuff stolen in this hall in church. I stole my laptop once. I left it on the back seat there next to where Francie is sitting. Francie is sitting. And I had a Dropbox login sync thing going on there. So the worst is I could see my laptop traveling. Because every time someone turns it on, syncs with Dropbox, and there's an IP address, which is like an address that you can find a computer with, and you can search that IP address, and you can find out where it is. And the last time I saw my laptop was somewhere in Tanzania. Traveled, it was a missional laptop. It was apostolic. It took the message from that back seat over there all the way to Tanzania. But you see, integrity is if I can steal that 10 rand, and nobody would ever know, no, I know that nobody would ever know, and I still don't take it. Because then, when it becomes a thousand rand or a million rand, I've already settled in my heart that I'm not going to take it, even if no one is ever going to know. Watch what Luke says around that. says, he was faithful in what is least, is faithful also in much. And he was unfaithful in what is least, is unfaithful also. He was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. You see, the point is that money doesn't change you. It just brings out what's already on the inside. For many of you who are young and just starting out in your relationship with money, that is such an encouraging thing because learn to do it right. See, one of the things I did a couple of years ago, all of our money account record we keep on a a Google Sheet on Google Drive. And I put it on there for a reason. I could have had it on an Excel sheet, but I decided to put it on a Google Sheet for a couple of reasons. So my wife and I can both always see what's going on, which is a, a good thing when you're married, although sometimes it's easier for her not to know. <laughs> but what I also did is I went to two of my good friends who I trusted, and I said, guys, I don't want to hide anything that's going on in my finances. I want to walk with integrity in my finances. So here... I'm sharing this Google Sheet with you. What I want you to do is from time to time go on that sheet and see what I'm doing with my money. And come and speak to me if you think I'm not dealing well with my money because I want to be a person of integrity when it comes to my finances. See, we need to learn. And the amazing thing is if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to hide and you can show the world. <laughs> the only reason we want to hide stuff is because I've got something to hide. Let's learn to deal with integrity. I'm thinking about tweeting a really naughty tweet. 
Because we're talking about integrity and finances. And in South Africa at the moment, it's a topical issue. I think most of us realize that. I don't have to explain too much about why it's important. Why our relationship with money and the way we deal with it is important. And here's a tweet I'm thinking to tweet. If it'll fit into a tweet, I don't know. But I'm guessing and assuming that everybody who is up in arms about Jacob Zuma and what he's doing and what he's not doing is only up in arms because we all deal in every facet of our life with total uprightness and righteousness. And if that's the case, then I'm really excited about where this country is heading. Because we've got a couple of bad apples, but we've got a couple of thousand, if not million people jumping up and shouting because of, there's so much righteousness hidden in our heart that it freaks us out when somebody is a little bit unrighteous. You see, it's either that or we're a bunch of hypocrites. Because it's one thing standing up and saying, Jacob Zuma can't, but I'm doing it. You see, the only reason Jesus said something about, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. When it comes to our finances, we need to deal with righteousness. Money doesn't corrupt. It simply highlights, amplifies what's already in our heart. I'm still on the introduction. I'm going quickly. Okay. Fourth one of the fundamentals. Money is inherently and profoundly spiritual. Inherently, profoundly spiritual. Look at this verse. It's going to haunt you for the rest of your life once I've read this. So close your ears quickly if you don't want to be haunted. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, speaking about mothers, fathers, children, you know that even when you're 50, you've got a mom and dad. That's the implication, the context within which is given here. You're specifically the elderly, but as a rule for everyone in your household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If anyone does not care for his own, especially for those of his provide for his own. Provision there speaks about providing financially. For his own. Especially for those of his own household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let that sink in just for a little bit. See, from time to time, I have somebody come to me, very nice, normally very sweet people, say, Philip, do you know what I want to do with my life? I'm going to lock myself in a room and just pray. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's fantastic. But how are you going to provide? No, I'm not going to provide. I don't believe I need to provide. It'll be amazing how many Christians say that. And then I say, well, you are many things, but you're not a Christian. Because you are scripturally denying the faith and worse than an unbeliever. It's great. Take a lot of time in your day and pray but then come out of the prayer closet, get a job as a waiter or a street sweeper or whatever you need to do and make sure you're earning an income and you're providing. So otherwise, all of the time in the prayer closet, God's looking at that and saying, you are totally missing the whole point. See, there's an incredible burden of provision, a healthy burden, a great burden, but it's a responsibility, maybe a more, more apt word than burden, that God has placed upon us to provide, to be breadwinners, to be workers. It's something that He smiles upon in a different place. He says that he who will not work shall not eat. A lot of people get very upset with me because from time to time we have some beggars come to church and they come and abuse and 
It's a scary thing. I've met some incredibly skilled beggars. It's a craft. It's a gift. They know exactly who to target when. When you're at your most vulnerable in the middle of the night, just as you're about to get into your car, you're alone. There's no one else. Then they come with these incredibly soppy stories. And my heart vexes around that because I so, 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 so want to help those people. You know what I've realized in having dealt with unfortunate amounts of poverty in my life? is me giving them money. It doesn't help them at all. So I want to ask you guys in church, if you can help us with that, please don't ever give any beggar money at church. Come and speak to me or to Heinrich Beer, say Isofanant, I don't know if he's over there with the green shirt. We've got a plan and a way that we want to help those guys because we really want to help them. But we realize giving them their money for the next fix probably isn't helping them in the best possible way. So we've got a structure and a plan that we're working on to, to really help people who want to be helped. But something that's a biblical prerogative for them is he who will not work shall not eat. That's what the scripture says. Somebody doesn't want to work. I've settled in my heart, I don't feel bad about them going hungry. They're willing to work, come, let's make a plan. Let's get you some food. That's a biblical example for that, or the biblical standard. Matthew 6.24, I mentioned this earlier, I want to say it again, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot. With God, it is impossible to serve God and mammon. I cannot serve this and Jesus. I can't let this make my decision. Yes, this has to inform my decision. Otherwise, it's a foolish decision. But this cannot make my decision. It's like when you come to the end of the year, maybe some of you just gone through this process. You get your degree. You've finished. Law, textbooks, burning them. Big bonfire, it's done. You get your degree. And then you start looking for the jobs. CVs going out. One or two, three offers come in. Maybe you're lucky. You've got a couple of offers, contracts lying on your desk. On. They're kind of stacked in order. The one with the biggest salaries at the top and the one with the smallest salaries at the bottom. And come 1st of January when you have to start working, the one you're going to sign is the one that's on the top of that pile. You're welcome to do that, but then you can be sure that the one thing you're not doing with your life is serving Jesus. Why? Because what am I making a money a decision based on? I'm just following money. Who am I serving? Mammon. You know, the right way to go about that is I have an option. Praise the Lord. I've got two. Okay, now I've got to make a choice. Now it's tricky. I've got three or four. I've got to, this isn't just... If I've just got one option, then by default, that's the job I take. Because I have to work. Because he who will not work shall not eat. So I start somewhere. Can't start as a CEO of a company. Got to start somewhere. Just get a job. First job. Any job. Take a job. Start working. and Gain some experience and allow the Holy Spirit. Scripture says promotion comes from the Lord. Don't try and promote yourself. That's bad news. The Holy Spirit will see your work and he'll promote you. And then... You take those contracts. You don't stack them up about which one has the largest salary and which one has the least salary. What you do is you take them and you say, God, these contracts, these three, four, two, one, whatever, they represent companies, groups of people. God, you want me to make a difference in some of these people's lives, God. Which is the one that you want me to go and be a light bearer for your name? Because the company that I'm going to sign with Jesus, I'm going to go there and I'm going to pray for that company. 
and I'm going to pray for the people in the company. And there might be somebody else praying there already, and I'm going to find them, and I'm going to pray with them. And then we're going to start doing Bible studies over lunchtime, and we're going to start investing into the lives of the people. And if it happens to be the smallest or the fattest salary, is irrelevant, because Jesus is the kingdom that needs to come. I'm serving you. So God, where do you want me? That's the question we ask. The question isn't, where am I going to get the fattest salary? As Christians, we don't ask that. As Christians, that informs the decision, but that doesn't determine the decision. Cannot serve God and mammon. And then the last one of the introduction, Mark 12, 41. Jesus comes into the church and they didn't have offering bags passing around. And by the way, we haven't passed the offering bags around because I'm just doing the longest ever offering message and we'll pass them around a little bit later. They didn't have offering bags. They had like one spot, maybe where the speaker is, for argument's sake. Which was an offering bag, an offering box. And watch what Jesus did. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. What you're doing with this, Jesus is watching. He's watching. It's important that we know that. He's not watching to catch you out. I'm going to tell you why he's watching. Money has no intrinsic value, but money is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given you. Whether it's one rand or 100,000 rand or however many zeros you want to add onto that. You want to know why it's a great gift? Two main reasons, and this is actually what I want to share about tonight. And we'll be quick around these, so don't worry. The first one we see in Luke 12, from 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, money, it's not that you're eating the money, but you get the point, you've got to get the money to buy the food to eat it. Nor about your body, what you'll put on, your clothing. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, the crows, for they neither sow nor reap, nor have, which neither have storehouse nor barn. They don't even work and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more would he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. In other words, not the Christian people, not the followers of Jesus. In Matthew it says, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after these things. They take the contract and just take the one with the fattest paycheck. Do not fear. Sorry, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things. Wait, before that even, important phrase. Your father knows that you need these things. See, God isn't stupid about the fact that you and I need money to get through life. That we need to work. That we need to provide somehow. If I get a big inheritance and I can provide that way, praise the Lord for that. If I don't, then I've got to work. Praise the Lord for the fact that I get to work. And I get to provide and I get to do a godly work on this earth. 
That God knows that way before you and I knew, knew it. Seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to look after you. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, which is a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth, moth destroys. And watch verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know why money is valuable? You know why money is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given you? It's because this little funny piece of paper that you and I use on a daily basis has the power to direct your heart. If you want to grow to love something or someone, if you want your heart to go in a specific direction, do you know how you make that happen? Spend money on it. It's as simple as that. You see, it's interesting. It doesn't say where your heart is that your treasure will be. It doesn't say what you love you're going to give the money to. It says that where you take your treasure and you store it there, your heart's going to follow. Try it. It works. I promise you. Some of you may not have this. You know, one of the most spiritual things you can do when you go home this evening, if you don't have one yet, is to go home and draw up a budget. What is a budget? A budget is an indication, it's a barometer of your intended priorities. What are the things that I want to make important in my life? Married guys, listen, single guys, remember this. Does your budget tell your wife that you love her? Does your budget tell your wife that you love her? Does your budget help you to love your wife because it's directing your heart towards your wife because your money is going there? You see, if you want to grow, say maybe you're here and you say, Philip, we were praying for the lost earlier, but I don't really have a heart for the lost. Now, one of the best ways you can develop a heart for the lost is find an organization or a church that is committed to reaching the lost and fund them. Maybe say, Jesus, I'm going to set aside X amount of money every month and I'm going to go and speak to Philip and we, or whatever evangelistic organization and that money is only going to be used for evangelism. Do you know what's going to happen really quickly? You're going to begin to love the lost. If you want to learn to love something, spend money on it. Foolproof way. What is a budget? A budget is a barometer, a statement of what I choose to make important to me. I remember a couple of years ago, when my wife and I first got married, we were really diligent at writing down everything we'd spent. And then we stopped doing that. We grew lazy because it was we got in a rhythm and finances were flowing and it was kind of, it was working. And then the craziest thing started happening. Suddenly, there was way too much month left at the end of the money every month. Suddenly, stuff started breaking and we just had to, it was like taking money and putting it into pocket with a hole. And every time the money was just, and we'd come to the end of the month and we'd be like, where'd the money go? We didn't know. I remember sitting in a small group praying, 
Say, hey, guys, pray with us. It's just crazy. You don't know why, but all of a sudden, everything's been fine just financially. It's not fine now. And as I said, it's like the Holy Spirit said, yes, Philip, because you stopped counting. Where's the money gone? So imagine we take these. We make them a little bigger and we make them blue. What's that, a hundred? We make them a little bit bigger and we make them that burnt brownie, orangey, red, whatever that color is for the 200. Then we stack them up, a nice stack like this. And Gareth here, he's really, really good with finances. So I take it all and I say, here, would you look after this for me? And I give him a stack of money. I say, will you steward that for me? And six months down the line, I come back to him and I say, hey, Gareth, that money I asked you to steward, where is it? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> what have you done with it? I can't remember. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, well, is there any of it left? Give it back to me now. <laughs> I'm not going to take more money out and give it to him. You see, if I come to him and I say, hey, Gareth, that money I gave you six months ago, what happened with that? Well, brings up a spreadsheet, spreadsheet prints it out and said, well, we put this month in there. It's growing like that. We put some here. What are, what are, this much, this much. This is exactly where your money is. And I'm saying, well, well done. I'm probably, if, I have, if I happen to have a little bit more money, I might say, hey, don't you want to look after this for me too? That's good stewardship. We say we're stewards of God's money. If God was to come and knock on your door today and say, March has just finished. At the beginning of the month, I gave you X amount salary, pocket money, whatever it is. What did you do with it? How many of us are going to say, I don't really know? Or how many of us can say, well, I can account for every cent? Because if I give him for argument's sake 10,000 rand and he says, well, here I can account for 9,000 rand. I don't quite know what happened to the other thousand. Sorry. That's not good stewardship. See, God, the first part of good stewardship is the ability to account. Some of us are going to have to start doing that. It's amazing. So in the small group, I realized I've stopped keeping count. So my wife and I started doing it again. And guess what? Suddenly stopped. There was enough money again. Suddenly, it's like supernatural. The Holy Spirit just breathed in our finances again. And stuff just began to work. If you want your heart to be in something, the best way, start spending money on it. The first reason why money is incredibly valuable, because the great thing about that, whether it's 10 cents or 10,000 rand, is irrelevant. When it's a little bit that I've got, I'm spending it on something, my heart's following. The first thing is that money can direct your heart. The second reason why money is so important, because it reveals your heart. See, it's beginning of April now. So if you haven't yet, you're going to go home and you're going to drop a budget. I get X amount at the beginning of the month and I've got a budget and I oversee a bunch of churches and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say this anyway. So the end of last year, I asked them all to send us budgets because I have to oversee and make sure they're all okay, whatever. So they sent me a budget and kind of the income is X expected and the expenditure is Y expected. There's only one problem. Y is bigger than X. So I've got to send them an email back and say, try again. This is not going to work. They say, but Philip, where's your faith? I say, well, where's your faith? Send me a budget that's got high income or less expenses or whatever. But don't send me a budget saying that you're planning to make a shortfall every month because at the end of the day, I have to go and find the money to pay the shortfall. That's the way that we work. 
So end of months, I'm always fighting with people because they spend too much money. But praise the Lord for you guys. You really give a lot. So I don't have to have so many fights. I can say, listen, we love you. and We're going to help you plant a church, but you're going to pay back later. <laughs> Just kidding. What was I saying? So the beginning of the month, I draw up a budget. Make sure your budget balances. There's no point drawing up a budget that doesn't balance. If it doesn't balance, step back and say, Jesus, how are we going to fix this? Do I get a second job or do I watch less movies? You see, there are two ways to make a budget balance. One is to get more income, and we all like that one. The other one is to spend less. We hate that one. Sometimes we need to do it. Quick financial lesson there, 101. Okay, learn to be content with what you have. That's your budget. Then we go towards the end of the month. We've drawn up a beautiful little budget here for the beginning of the month. The month goes on, the month goes on. We're writing down everything. What did I actually spend money on? I come to the end of the month and I draw up a financial record of my transactions. What did I spend money on? And guess what? The budget and this thing isn't always the same. What I budgeted for and what I ended up spending money on is not always the same. So the budget, that tells me what I want to make my priority. The record is what is actually my priority. It reveals my heart. It shows me what is actually in my heart. A few moments, I'll tell you why that is so incredibly important. But let me also say that we need to understand that sometimes the budget and the record doesn't quite look the same because life happens. Ideally, you should budget for life to happen. The other day, I had to buy a car battery. I felt so sorry for the poor car battery salesman. But he said something which is so true. Because obviously you could see that I wasn't happy about buying a car battery. He said, this, it's a grudge purchase. Nobody ever wakes up in the morning thinking, guys, guess what? Today is the day. Today I get to drive to battery center or whatever. And I've done all the research. I have like an S6 model battery, but the new S7 came out yesterday. I am so excited. I'm going to go to the battery shop and buy the brand newest technology, best edition. It's out. I can't wait to fit that baby in my car. Let's go. I've been saving for this for like four months. This is the highlight of my week. I'm buying a new car battery. Now, the only reason you ever buy a car battery is you wake up in the morning and for some reason it's always a cold morning. And you go outside and you get in the car and it's and then you've all heard that evil, evil sound that your car makes. And then you go and you realize, I have to buy a car battery. And then you go to the poor car battery salesman because nobody wants to walk into a shop and buy a car battery. No one's excited about buying the car battery. So the next time you buy a car battery, be nice to the car battery salesman because nobody else is. Because everyone arrives, they're grumpy because they wanted to spend a thousand rand or whatever on something else. And guess what? They can't anymore because they've got to buy a car battery now. And it's all the battery salesman's fault, obviously. You need to budget for those. But sometimes those moments happen. And what I started with here and what I ended with here don't look the same because life happened. A lot of the time, what I started with and what I ended with wasn't because life happened. It's because discipline never happened. Because I saw the chocolate in the pick-and-pay aisle. 
and you were kids. It's the worst place ever when you were little kids. And you know they do that on purpose. It's like a science. They put what they call the, there's a word for it. They just left me again, like Leandri's name earlier. The impulse purchase stuff. They put right at the chair. While you're standing there waiting for the auntie in front of you to finish packing out her bag, you're looking at this Coke or this chocolate or this other little thing. Ah, I need that too. Or the battery. It's all very, very well-crafted stuff that they put there because they want you to succumb to the temptation and just buy it because you don't really need it. I actually think Woolworths have just made a decision that they don't do that anymore. About three months ago, they said that, They'll stop that practice because they don't believe it's, it's right, especially when you've got kids because that's evil. And nowadays they've got these long queues. It's like one queue. And you have to walk past all of the sweets and you've got to like take your kid and stick, like take the 10 rand that you have and stick it over your kid's eyes <laughs> so they don't see all the sweets. Discipline when it comes to our finances is crucial. So why is it important that God uses money as a test for our hearts? Luke 16, verse 10, and then we're done. We read this earlier. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. We read that earlier, but watch this in verse 11. And this is the verse that whacked me when we did this financial seminar a couple of years ago. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Implication, not me, not God. Ponder that for a moment. You know why money is so powerful? Because it directs my heart. I can put it somewhere and my heart will follow, which is a really amazing tool because it's very hard to move our hearts. But this does and is significantly powerful. But do you know what else? God looks at what we do with our money. That's why standing at the treasure box looking, He's not looking to judge and say, you didn't give enough, you bad person, give more next time. That's not what he's saying. He's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for people to entrust the true riches to. People, souls, influence, the stuff that really matters. This doesn't matter. This only matters to God as a little test for us to see if he can trust us with the stuff that matters. That's a scary thought about our money. It changed the way I think about my money in a massive way. Suddenly I realized that my money is the key to seeing souls get saved. I realized that my money, the fact that God provides for me every month and I'm so thankful to Him for the way that He does. What I do with that is a test a good test of my heart. So that God can look at me and say, Philip, I can't trust you, I can't trust you. Isn't it scary that the number one God thing that God, one, or try that again, the number one thing God uses to determine whether he can trust you or me? This. He's got stuff that really matters to him. Important stuff in this world. And in eternity. He wants to trust you with it. Do you know how he knows if he can trust you with it or not? Or this. Why do I want you to have a good relationship with money? Because I want God to look at you and say, I can trust you with the stuff that matters because you deal well with money. 
Dealing well with money does not mean giving it all away. Can I just repeat that? Dealing well with money does not mean giving it all away. You guys remember there's a really cool story, a parable in Scripture about ten virgins. You know this, the parable? Five virgins had oil and they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And five didn't have oil. Do you remember that? So the five who didn't have turned to the five who had and they said, hey, don't you want to share some of your oil with us? The five who had oil were called the righteous because they'd planned and they'd prepared. And the other five were called unrighteous. So what is the righteous answer for those who have towards those who come to beg? Not, oh, yes, sure, I've got a lot of oil. I'll share my oil with you. What did they say? They said, no, go and buy your own oil. They went and they bought oil, and while they were gone, the bridegroom came. I'm not saying by that don't share. I'm not saying by that don't give. Don't, understand, don't misunderstand me. What I am saying is it's bad stewardship just to give everything away. You see, if I give my daughter as they grow up with finances, maybe one day I'm going to give them 10 rand and say, hey, here's 10 rand, which is your pocket money for this week or whatever. And if they come to me at the end of the week, I say, what did you do with your 10 rand? Well, I gave it away. That's really big-hearted of you. Your heart's pure. And next week they come and I say, last week you gave it away. And I love people who give, I love the fact that you So here's 20 rand. But I want you to take 15 of that and you need to go and buy something that you need for school. And you're paying, whatever. And then they come back to me and they say, I say to them, what did you do with the 20 rand? They say, I gave it all away. Then they get a hiding. Maybe not a spanking as such, but there's discipline there. Because there's a difference between having a heart to give and there's a difference with misappropriation of funds that's been entrusted to. I didn't give her the 20 rand to do with it whatever she wanted to. I gave her the 20 rand because she needed to take 15 rand to go buy a pen. Now she doesn't have a pen and now she can't do her schoolwork. You see, sometimes God gives us stuff with a specific purpose. If we just give it away, then God's looking at us and saying, you're not being a good steward. You see, if my kid does that two or three times, eventually I'm going to say, I can't trust you with money because you never do with it what I trusted you to do with it. God looks at us in the same way. If we're just giving away everything, he's looking at that and he's saying, you are not being faithful. You're being foolish. You're not using the funds for which I've determined the funds to be used. I can't trust you with it. You just give it all away. That's bad stewardship. It's good stewardship when we pray and God says, here is 50 rand, give 25 of it away. And you're like, oh, 25, that's a lot of money. Oh, give it away. Okay, God. That's the purpose for it. I'll do it. It's bad stewardship. Here's 50 rand, Philip. I want you to buy food for your family for this week with 50 rand. And then I give the money away. And then I go and pray and I say, God, there's no provision in my family. God's going to look at me and say, you lie. There is provision. You gave it away. You see, we need to have a pure heart as we come to Jesus. God loves that we give. He wants us to give. He loves a cheerful giver. He has a great question for you to go and ponder on. Every time when it comes for you to give, whether it's give a birthday present, give a wedding present, give just a gift because it's nice, give money to church, give whatever the question is, give somewhere in there. 
is your question that you ask in your hearts. How much can I give or how little can I give? Let's say you're doing an EFT and God has said he wants to give a thousand rand to somebody who's going on missions to India. You're like, okay, God, I can do that. And you open up your banking app on your phone or you open it up on your computer and you log into your banking and you start typing and you start thinking, well, God, can we make it 900? That sounds better, doesn't it? Or maybe 850. I still want to help them. Like, well, are you saying, God, you said 1,000. Can we make it 1,100? Hey, how about 1,200? I didn't have to go to the movies this month. I'll maybe fast two days for them as well and give them that money that I would have spent on food that they can. Can I give them a bit more? You see, it's a simple question that tastes our heart straight away. Is it how much can I give or how little can I give? Great question to ask ourselves. But important, don't give if God hasn't stirred in your heart to give. But when he does, give liberally, give freely. Give boldly. Give knowing that where this 10 rand came from, there's gazillions more. The gold is mine, the silver is mine, says God, and he will provide if I steward well. But it's not so much about me stewarding this well as much as, God, I want to get this right because I'm interested in what really matters. And what really matters, God, you're only going to give me if I steward this well. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to end in a time of song and worship. And then, before we start singing, the ushers are going to pass the offering bags around. Let me first tell you what I don't want you to do. I don't want you sitting here feeling really guilty because maybe at times you've been a bad steward and so you take the offering bag and you just dump everything in there. God, I feel really bad. I'm going to fix it. Here's everything. I don't want you to do that. Not at all. I want you to take a little bit of money because if you're like me, I'm not a cash guy, so I hardly ever have any cash in my wallet. So if I happen to have some cash in my wallet, it's probably not going to change too much. I could probably give all of it away most days because it's normally like 10 or 15 rand. It's not going to change anything really. But to say, God, as I'm giving, and this is what I want to encourage you guys to do every week, every month, however often you give, especially when you give to church whether you're dropping in the offering bag or whether you're doing an EFT. And can I just say, you guys, the way, and I made a joke about it earlier, the way that you guys give in church is amazing. It really is. And I love it. Not because when you give more, I get a factor salary. It doesn't work that way. When you give more, we've got more money available to do the work of the ministry with. My salary is fixed, determined by an independent committee. And what you give or don't give doesn't make it go more or less. So you're giving more means we can do more. And I love that. And you guys give a lot. And I love that as well. Amazing hearts. But every week, every month, whenever you give, simply stir in your heart. Say, God, I'm giving. Because I believe, number one. But also, God, because I want my heart to follow. I want to direct my heart towards a love for your church and seeing souls saved. And also, God, as I give, God, I give because I want to be counted faithful when it comes to finance. Faithful, not faithless. God, I want you to look at the way in which I deal with my finances. The scripture says, give as each one has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, 
not of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give because you have to give. Give because there's something in your heart responding. Say, God, you're leading me to give, and I want to respond. Whether I'm giving one cent or however much, God, you're stirring me. I just want to give that part, because I want to be found faithful. God, this money is really cool, and it's nice having a lot of money, but God, I'm actually interested in what's behind this money. The stuff, Jesus, you call the true riches. That's what I want. So God, as I give this evening, I give because I want to be counted faithful. I want to be entrusted with true riches. Not with money, but true riches. The lives of broken people that I can bring healing to through the blood of Jesus. Bring about changes in families and communities. Because you trust me, God. It starts here. So I want to say it again. I don't want you guys just to empty your wallets. And let me not say at all, unless you are 100% sure it's exactly what God is saying to you. Maybe saying it to one of you in this room, maybe. For most of us, it's simply given what we purpose to give at the beginning. But as I'm putting this, you see, Jesus, I'm not putting the money in my basket as much as I'm wanting to put my heart in that basket. Can we do that? So I want to pray. And I know we prayed for the offering earlier, but let's pray again. Father, I want to thank you this evening for your incredible faithfulness to always provide. Lord, even as we read earlier that you know we need these things. We know, Lord, you know we need clothing and we need food and you know we need provision and you expect us to provide and there's some scary scriptures but there's some exciting scriptures in there as well, Lord. And God, I pray for everyone here. I pray, Holy Spirit, make us faithful. Make us faithful in our dealing with finances. Help us to know when to give and when not to give. Help us to know when it's bread to be eaten, Lord, and when it's seed to sow. Make us faithful with our finances, because Jesus, as a church, it's great having a lot of money, but we don't want a lot of money, Lord. We want the true riches, God. We want souls. We want broken people to disciple, God. We want to see lives restored and made whole, and we ask that, Jesus, you would trust us with that. And we realize the gates... The test of your trust, Lord, is in what we do with our finances. Holy Spirit, make us faithful with the unrighteous mammon that you commit to our trust. And for everyone here, God, I pray that you bless us in this week. God, I pray that you loose, even if there is a hold of finances upon us and maybe a little bit of money that's crept into our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and take the money out of our hearts that we may follow you. Jesus, we want to follow you and no one else. We don't want to serve mammon. We want to serve you, Jesus. So would you lead us in the way everlasting? Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. 
browse our website www.shofaronline.org or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.